All right, we are in Exodus chapter 20. Some of you have never been to our church before, and you're like, really? I showed up on Ten Commandments Day? It's like, well, it's been that way for almost two months now, so, and no sign of stopping. I've said this before, but I thought it was going to be two weeks in Exodus chapter 20. This is week five, so I don't know how long it's going to take. We're not going to finish today. We're going to get through the fourth commandment today. Um, Here we go. Exodus chapter 20. It's page 35 if you got a white or a blue Bible that we gave you. If you don't have a Bible, super good to grab it, Uh, especially today, because today uh, we're going to be talking about things that are in the scriptures and structures and the way that it's written. So it's going to be really helpful if you have it in front of you. So if you're like earlier when I was like, go get a Bible, you're like, I'm not doing that. And now you're like, oh, I probably should. Just bite your pride. Come up here, grab one. And then walk back to your seat, and that'll be fine. Or Crystal will hand you one. Uh, it's okay. Anybody else want one? It's going to be helpful. For reals? What are all those stacks in there? Okay. Mental note. More Bibles in the bin. All right. Um, I watched a movie with my son. My wife was gone this week, so we did father-son things like watch movies about video games. Uh, which, you know, women, well, my wife at least, is not super into. So we were watching this thing about video games. And who's a gamer? Actually, don't, you, you don't, you're fine. Don't, don't tell everybody. That's okay, right? But gamers are familiar with these things called Easter eggs. Uh, they're like parts of the video game that actually uh, lots of times are not intentional, like on the flow of the video game, but they're things that you could find, like random things. Uh, and they've become way more popular uh, you know, you can have random like suits and things you can wear, little rooms that people can find. and There's all sorts of stuff that aren't necessarily about winning the video game. They're just like a cool like little Easter egg to find, right? Has nothing to do with Easter. Some of you that are over 50, your eyes are rolling back in your head already. You're about to snooze, but that's okay, right? Because in scripture, there are also uh, similar hidden things. And I'm not, you're like, oh, great. This is going to be like one of those like, Bible decoding messages. No, it's not. But the structure and the systems and the numbers of things when they write these scriptures are very intentional and they're intended to communicate something. And it's kind of like finding a video game Easter egg. It's kind of like, oh, wow, I never thought about that before. And they're not that hard to find, actually, if you just think about what you're reading. Lots of times I hear people say, Bible's so hard to read, I get bored, I don't understand. And if you're reading through your Bible, you're doing a Bible reading plan, this is about the time where you start to like slow down, right? You get through Genesis, you're like, yeah, it's just a good story, right? And you're like March, and then you get to Exodus 20, and you're like, man, there's a lot of laws, and you start to slow down. That's intentional, and we're going to talk about why it's intentional, and what you can learn from it, and how you can see in the scriptures for yourselves what it's trying to communicate. So all that is coming Uh, But first, I just want to recap real quick. We've spent a few months now going through the book of Exodus. And if you remember, the story of Exodus is the story of God producing a people. So we started with just this family of 70 people. And then we're going to end the book of Exodus with a nation that God calls his people. And they call themselves the people of God. So this is how God goes from just a handful of folks to a people who are now his people. And he's entering into this covenant relationship with them that is going to establish them as his people. So that's what the Ten Commandments are. It's this covenant relationship between God and his people. And we've likened it over the last several weeks that we've been talking about this. The only covenant that we kind of really 
are familiar with in 2023, which is the marriage covenant, right? So these 10 commandments, while you might have personally understood them to be like a list of rules that you could follow or not follow to get in or keep yourself out of heaven, uh, that's kind of not really the way they function in the story. The way they function in the story is much more like vows of that you would see at a wedding, kind of like in a marriage covenant. So as we're reading this, keep that in mind. These are like terms of the covenant. These are relationship ideals like you would hear at a wedding. These are like ideal practices and behaviors and patterns of being that will connect us in covenant or keep us apart in covenant if we break them. So, and, and here's the last thing I want to point out about that before we jump into the text. In the Jewish tradition, so 2,000 years before Christ came on the scene, and also the Christian tradition, so the last 2,000 years, all of those traditions, both of those traditions, have seen the Ten Commandments as written for our good. So they weren't just like arbitrary rules that God's like, ah, you should do this and not do that, and uh, let's see if you do it. Like, these were actually written to reflect the wisdom with which God created the world and are written for our good. So they're not just random rules. They're rules that not only will draw us closer to God, connect us in covenant, but also will be for the good of our flourishing on the earth, right? In these covenant ideals, these commandments, we even find the wisdom and beauty of the nature and character of God. So we're going to talk about that a lot today. And so we've made it through three commandments so far. We got halfway through the fourth commandment last week, and we're going to finish the fourth commandment this morning. But I'm going to start in verse 1 to chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so we started talking about the fourth commandment last week. And the very short summary of what we covered last week is that this command is a day of stopping. Sabbath literally means a day of stopping, okay? So it's, you stop, no working, no productivity, no like effectiveness, we're not trying to get things done, and they stop this way every single week in order to set that day apart to Yahweh, who is their God, as a picture of the future rest that will be accomplished when the Savior of the world dies for their sins. So Yahweh has promised this future rest is coming through the Savior of the world. He hasn't come yet. So they do this as this predictor of sorts, this like testimony. We believe in that future rest that is coming. So we rest one day every single week because we believe our God is going to do what he said he was going to do. So 
They keep doing this over and over. We, kind of looking back on this now, know that that future rest came through Jesus as he died on the cross and paid the price for our sins. And you no longer have to pay for your own sins, which is why we only do goat sacrifices like three times a year now. I'm just joking. We don't do goat sacrifices at all, right? We don't have to do any of that anymore. We don't have to work for our atonement because Jesus paid the price for our sins. That's the rest he was talking about. Okay, that was the short summary of last week. Today, I want to talk about this. Maybe let's do this like a little game. Let's do a little game. We got kids in here. Kids like games. What is the thing that the people are being called to do in the fourth commandment? What's the foundational activity that you're being called to do? Think about it. Yeah, you should look at your Bible, right? Stop. Yeah, that's what lots of people would say. Rest, right? Don't produce, right? Just don't do anything. Uh, that's, that's kind of what we think of immediately. Because when we do the summary of the 10 commandments in our minds, we think fourth commandment, Sabbath, right? That's where we're like, stopping, don't do anything. It's not actually the activity that is the first thing commanded in the command. Look at the verse again. What's it say? What's the first word? Remember. The call is to remember. The command could be interpreted like this. You will not remember like you need to remember if you don't deny yourself work and productivity. If you don't stop, you will inhibit your ability to remember like I've called you to remember. The stopping is tied to remembering. And this is a big deal because we've all talked to teenagers and we've wanted them to remember something. And we know while we're talking to them, they're not going to remember what we tell them, right? Forget teenagers. My wife does it to me all the time. She gets that glazed look on my face when I'm watching a game or like working on something. She's like, are you remembering this? And she gets that tone in her voice that signals to me she knows I'm not going to remember what she's saying to me right now. I'm like, no, 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 I'll remember. And she's like, uh, right? We do that. Anybody ever talk to someone who you knew they weren't going to remember while you were talking to them? That was a frustrating experience, right? And so when God commands, it's almost like we're like, especially in America, we're like, no, 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 God, we don't need to stop to remember. He's like, you, you need to stop. I'm like, no, we don't need to. We'll be fine. We'll keep working. We'll remember. And he's like, I made you. I know that you won't remember like you should remember if you don't take some time to stop. I'm like, no, 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 we'll remember. I'm like, okay, you don't, right? The remembering is tied to the stopping. The, my guess is, if I'm reading this right, if we cannot take the time to stop, like if we physically cannot slow down enough to stop, if we cannot make the space in our lives to stop like God has called his people to stop, then we probably also cannot remember like he's called us to remember. And remembering is a very big deal to God. It, we've been talking about it literally since we began the book of Exodus. Remember? When we went through this part of the story where Yahweh brought his people out of Egypt, you probably remember the 10 plagues of Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea. Right when all that was happening, what was the first thing that he actually commanded his people to do? He said, today is going to be the first day of the year for you. Rename all the months of the year. We're going to have a new calendar. We're going to start counting all over again. Why? So that you remember when the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt. That was the first thing he told them to do. Even before the Ten Commandments, he said, you need to remember. And then he went through a whole Passover feast. 
It's like, we do this to remember, and you're going to cook this type of meat so you remember, and you're going to have these seasonings on it so you remember, and you're going to have your shoes on your feet and your belt on and your staff in your hands so you remember over and over and over again. God was really concerned about his people remembering. The people of God have always been a people whose primary function is that they remember. It's not an extra. It's not an add-on. It's not part of what it means to be the people of God. It's primary. And we do this thing where we forget all week long. Oh, yeah, I got to go back to church. Or, like, this is pretty common that we don't even think about it. And that's exactly what God was trying to avoid in his people. Remembering is essential to the identity of the people of God. It's, it's almost telling in a way that the call to remember in the fourth commandment is ahead of things like lying and adultery and stealing and murdering. Right? It's the fourth commandment. Like It's pretty important to the heart of God for his people. It's a really big deal to him. Now, there's another peculiar thing about the way this command is written that you should probably think about as you read it. Read verse 8 again with me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay? Oh, you got it? Set apart the Sabbath day for God's purposes. Okay, now go to verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to Lord your God. But you already told us about the Sabbath in verse 8. Did you need to repeat yourself? I, I, okay, apparently we had to run through it again, but we got it. Six days work, seventh day no work. Got it. Then look at the second half of verse 10. On it, you shall not do any work. Okay, you've told me that already. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, third pass through. You see that? He's repeating himself. Why are we doing that? Right? Interesting, he doesn't say your wife doesn't have to work. Sorry, wives, you just got to keep working. I'm joking, joking. Nobody thought that was funny? I thought it was kind of funny, right? He doesn't mention the wife. He mentions all these other people. doesn't say anything about the wife. It's a joke. Everybody stop it working. I'm going to get emails, I feel like, now. Okay. <laughs> but he takes three passes through this, right? He repeats himself three times. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Then back through again. Six days you shall labor. Do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath. Then he goes back through. On it, all these people are not supposed to do any work. Because on the six days, God made the heavens and the earth, and he rested on the Sabbath. Therefore, another, like, you shall keep the Sabbath, which is a repetition of verse 8. It's like he just keeps repeating himself. So what's the deal here? Does God not realize he's repeating himself? Is that what's happening? He's like an old man who forgets he told this story already. He's like, ah, yeah, did I say this again? Yes, you did. This portion of Scripture and much of the Old Testament is what's known as meditation literature, okay? Meditation literature. It's not intended to be a textbook. It's not just a reference book for information. This is not supposed to sit on your shelf so that when you need a fact, you just go, where's the fact, right? Easily organized. Like, it's in intended to be meditated upon. And it's written in a way that invites reading and rereading and thinking about, and that's intentional, okay? One of the ways you can tell something is meditation literature is because of the way it's written. Now, that's not 
completely unique to us. Like we all understand that if we're reading something and the words rhyme, we're like, oh, it's supposed to be a poem. So it changes our mental reference, right? As we're reading something, if like the end of every sentence rhymes, we're like, oh, okay, I get it. And we kind of shift. I'm like, oh, I understand this a little bit differently. There are the same types of Easter eggs or things in the structure of the way these are written that should point us to understanding, oh, this is intended to be thought about. This is intended to be reread. This is intended to be meditated upon. This is what's happening here in this commandment even. Look at the fourth command again. We have an example of what we call stepped revelation. It's like a stair step. That's kind of like the, uh, the structure of it. You picture a stair step, and you go down a little bit, and you go over. You go down a little bit, you go over. You go down a little bit, you go over, right? Uh, he's taking passes through this, and every time he takes a pass through it, he gives us a little bit more information. So we go a little bit deeper, right? He takes one pass, and then he goes again. He takes another pass, and he goes again. He takes another pass. More and more information. And you'll recognize this structure in lots of the things you read, right? And it's intentional. It does it all the time. He's not repeating himself. He's doing it on purpose because this is how oral culture works. This is how people tell stories. I'll give you an example. Have I told you guys about the time that I ate that crazy thing in Peru? Who's heard me tell that story? A couple of you have heard about the thing I ate in Peru. We were on a missions trip in Peru, and in Peru, you may not know this, but one of the delicacies that they eat on Sunday nights usually is fried guinea pig. I ate a fried guinea pig when I was in Peru. Yeah. Because what happened is we go on this mission trip. There was a construction site there. There was a foreman of the construction site. He didn't speak a lot of English. We didn't communicate super well. And at the end of the trip, he went to our mission trip leader, and he said, hey, I wanted to bless all the workers. And so I bought all of them their own guinea pig to eat on Sunday. My wife's going to fry them up, and they can come over to my house, and they can eat it. And we were like, no, this is really OK. You shouldn't have. And the mission trip leader is like, hey, man, he spent like a week's worth of his wages on these guinea pigs. You got to eat it. So I ate a fried guinea pig, which went about as well as you can imagine eating one of your household pets would go, right? <laughs> so that's what I ate in Peru, a fried guinea pig. Now, I just told that story. Did anybody be like, Jared's repeating himself. He lost his mind. No, it was exactly what we see in the scripture. I told you I ate this thing in Peru. Then I said, I ate fried guinea pig in Peru. Then I, every time I went through the story, I gave you more detail. I went through it four times. And at the end, I give you the big summary of the time I ate guinea pig in Peru. And it was terrible, right? I wouldn't recommend it. If you have one at home, just pet it. Don't eat it. Okay. This is the normal function of the way people communicate. So if you're reading the scripture and you're like, man, it's so hard. I get so, uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's confusing. It feels like it's repeating himself. You're like, don't give up. That's how people talk. That's normal. That's normal communication, right? If it feels like it's repeating itself, press into it. Think about it more. Now, some of you, you you're like, oh, sweet. Now I know about meditation literature, right? These principles are actually all over in our world. I used to be a football coach, and we use this same exact principle in football strategy. 
I was a wide receivers coach. And if you were running an in-breaking route, let's say the quarterback's over here, here's the defender, right? If I'm going to get inside of him so that the quarterback can throw me the ball, right? I got to make some sort of move, right? And usually I'll fake outside and go inside to get inside leverage on him. But then if I just keep running straight across, he'll chase me. So I have to press my route vertical, right? And create space so that I can get open. So if I press vertical and then in-break, I'll have much more space to, to get the pass, right? Basketball does the same thing, right? If you post and you're covered, what do you do, Josh? Repost, right? You make more, sorry, basketball coach put him on the spot. That wasn't fair, okay, right? You make more space, right? That's what he's doing here. He's making more space for you to think about it. So if you're reading this and you're like, oh, I'm, it's repeating itself, he's, he's trying to make space for you to think about this, for you to get all of the details. If he just gave it to you all in one stream as a narrative, as one thing, you'd probably be like, okay, next, which is kind of what we do anyway. We're like, Sabbath, got it. What's the fifth command? But he's doing this repetition on purpose. And here's another pointer, that you, this clue that this is intended to be thought about, okay? How many people are listed when he says, don't do all the work? Did you count them? Go ahead and count them. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, animals you own, or any sojourner, which would be a foreigner who is staying with you. How many is that? Seven. Does that stick out to anybody? You'll see this pattern oftentimes when we go through the scripture. Seven is the number of completion or perfection, right? When you get done with something, you're like, it's finished. That's the idea. It's like, I'm done with what I wanted to do, what I set out to do, what I was trying to work on. It's perfect, or it's complete, or it's done. That's the idea of seven. So when, in Hebrew, people would be much more familiar with this. When there's a repetition of something that seems like, man, why are you saying this over and over? But it has seven components to it. The idea there is complete or total. There's like a consummation or a culmination or a it's finished idea to it. So what we talk about here is a complete and perfect stopping. He's not like, well, do some stuff if you got everything left over. It's like, no, a total, complete, absolute stopping. And that absolute, perfect, completed stopping is a reminder of the perfect and total stopping that God did at creation because he created for six days and then rested. And it's also a pointer, like we said earlier, to the future total and complete and perfect stopping that Yahweh will accomplish in our salvation. Think about it this way. Do you remember what Jesus said when he died on the cross? It is finished. All the work's done. It's completed. So this idea of completing the work, the work has been accomplished. It's perfected. Now it allows us to enter into perfect rest, perfect or complete rest, because the work has been perfected or completed. Okay? So this idea of completing work leading to a completion or stopping or completed perfection and then resting, it's repeated three times in these two verses. I don't know if you read it. 
there's three times that we go through this pattern of seven. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. God worked for six days, then he rested. You should work for six days, keep the seventh. And then seven of you should not work, right? You, you're, again, didn't say the wife. I don't know why, that's weird, but whatever. Like you, your servants, your male servants, female servants, he repeats himself to get to seven. It's this indication that you should think about this if you think I'm just being boring and repetitious. Here's what this means. This pattern of seven, this idea of completion or perfection or finishing, you should understand from this command that the heart of God is rest. That thing that you feel in your soul when, I, when you're like, I just want to rest. Like that's because you're made in the image of God and the heart of God is rest. It's not laziness here, okay? We're not talking about never working, Right? Some of you are like, we can't just sit around and do nothing all day. Well, I'm not talking about that either. Right? It's not that there's zero work so that we can rest. There's six days of work and then rest. Okay? I, I, now, this was kind of a random thought I had while I was studying this. Why isn't there seven days of work? Do you think about that? Why didn't God call you to do seven days of work? Because some of you are thinking right now, like, yeah, Jared, I'll rest when the work is done. And you've been living that way for a long time. And what has happened? The work has never been done. And you're pretty old, right? And so what has happened is if you think that you will rest when you get it completed, what you'll find is the work will rise up to meet you and you will never get to that point. So I think that God intentionally has us work for six days, not getting to the completed part, because the work is not ever going to be completed by us. He doesn't tell us to work for seven days. He doesn't tell us to work to perfection or work to completion or work to culmination or work till it's finished. He says, work till you get to six days and then you rest. And then you rest because he's the one that finishes the work. We're not the ones that finish the work. Now think about how different this is than all the other world religions and their worldviews right? The whole idea of working and resting and perfecting and completing, whose idea was this? Was it your idea? Did you make it up? You're like, we should have, no, it's God's idea, right? It's God's plan, right? So already in the scriptures, he is telling his people, I have a plan. This way that you're living right now, this pattern that you're building into your lives, it's pointing to this plan that I have of a future rest for all of humanity as I work for their salvation. So that's completely different, especially at the time that this is written from the other gods that people worship. The pagan gods, they don't have a plan. It's the god of the Nile, right? What's the god of the Nile's plan? We don't know. We just know if there's a drought, we got to do a rain dance, right? Like all these pagan worshipers or even go through all the world religions, there's all these ideas about how we can get all, what our plans, our accomplishments from the gods. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible has a plan, and he's inviting his people into it. He has a plan for future rest. He has a plan for culmination, and he's inviting all of the people into the world into it by showing this covenant people the way to walk into it. Many other religions get this wrong because they either have no plan 
or the point of like when they have no plan, it's like reincarnation. We're just doing circles for all eternity or the plan is selfish and self-serving and they end up with like, you can be a God of your own world. It's like, that doesn't sound like God's plan. That sounds like your plan, right? Yeah, you'll get a hundred virgins in your own place to live. Like, really? That's God's plan? Is you get what you want? That's not the people of Yahweh. The people of Yahweh are called into Yahweh's plan for rest for all of humanity. That's radically different than all the other world religions where we're just trying to follow rules to get our will accomplished. We are being called into enter into Yahweh's plan. It's not our plan. It's his plan. That's a really big deal. Okay, I've been talking with my son. He's 14 now, so we've been talking about what it means to be a man. And one of the things that we've been talking about is this shift in understanding of like, when you're a boy, you think the whole world revolves around you, right? It's all about me. Like, why? And you see everybody on the earth in terms of how they can help you accomplish your plan. But a man doesn't think that way. A man grows up and realizes he's part of a bigger plan. His little story is part of a bigger story. He's part of something greater. And that's exactly what Yahweh is calling his people into. And the Sabbath is a reminder of. The people of the world are looking at like, you don't work once a week? What are you talking about? How do you get your stuff done? We're like, well, it's not my stuff. It's not my plan. I'm part of a bigger plan. That's why I do this. It's a reminder to me and to you and the world that this isn't my plan. It's his plan. And I'm being called into something that's not about me. It's about him. It's a story of completion. It's a story of perfection. It's a story of rest. And the fourth commandment is about the people of God remembering and never forgetting that our God has a plan and is working towards the completing and perfecting of that plan that we might rest in him. This idea of progress is a distinctly biblical and you know, later on Christian idea that we're working towards something. That comes from the Bible. That doesn't come from other world religions. Okay, like the idea that we're getting better or we're making progress or we're on our way to some sort of culmination, that's Bible idea. And we take it for granted because we live in America and we're like, yeah, we're getting better. We're getting more justice. We're creating better laws. We're becoming more understanding. We're more woke or whatever it is. And this idea of progress, like you're hijacking God's idea and using it for your plan. God gave us the idea of progress like the fourth commandment says, because there's going to be a rest in the future that we are working towards. And we build the habit and pattern into our lives every single week to point to that idea. It's not my plan. It's his plan. In fact, I stop from my plan once a week to do his plan and only his plan. So the world might look on and say, wait, you're going to do nothing every seventh day? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because it's not my plan. It's his plan. And every seventh day, I stop to remember, it's not my plan. I'm not the center of the world. He is, and it's his plan. And I rest in that because I build habits and patterns of remembering his goodness into my life. That's, I, I do things intentionally to remember. That's what he's calling his people into in the fourth commandment. Okay? Now, I get it. We don't do that anymore. It's 2023. Like, we don't do Sabbath, Jared. We're so beyond that. Okay. It's weird. I said it last week, but it's like, we're not like, well, Jesus died on the cross, so now I can murder. 
Right? We don't do that with any of the other commandments. Right? Like, Jesus died on the cross, so we could steal. Hooray! Like, somehow we're like, Jesus died on the cross, so I don't have to stop and remember that it's his plan anymore. I don't know. I, I get that it's hard. And, and I get that most of you are going to hear that and be like, I'm not doing that. I'm not even going to try to do that. I talked to someone last week who was like, your message was great. I was like, oh, cool. And they're like, it was the busiest day we had all week. I was like, oh. They're like, we got in the car, like, we talked about it. And we're like, wow, that would be really cool. And then this person called and that person called. And these people had to come over here. So we had to clean the house. We got to, yeah, that'll happen, right? There's that old saying, if, God, uh, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Because then you won't remember that it's not your plan. It's his plan. So we're going to take maybe 10 minutes, maybe six, and just remember, we're not going to do anything. We're going to sing. We're going to listen. We're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to reveal our hearts. We're going to stop. We're not going to do anything productive. We're just going to be like, Lord, this is a reminder to our hearts and a reminder to you that we haven't forgotten. That It's your plan, and we're grateful to be a part of it. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and sing.